Hey friends, it's Ryan Smith, pastor at Common Thread Church. Um, it's good to be with you again this week. Um, we as a church, Common Thread, didn't necessarily meet together as one whole, but each one of us were meeting and serving, doing different things. And that's exciting. Um, but we're going to continue the podcast. We're going to continue walking through the book of Romans. Remember, we've been doing this, um, calling it Replacing Power and Privilege with Peace. And we've been doing it by walking through the book of Romans backwards, right? We covered the back half of Romans first. And it's because you have to understand Romans and to understand it correctly, I think, you have to understand why he's doing it. So we read it backwards and we we come to find out um, that there's two groups of people that Paul is writing to. Now remember, um, Paul is writing specifically to the church in Rome. And in the church in Rome, we, we know there's about probably five to six house churches and they make up of two people that Paul identifies as he calls them the weak and the strong. And the weak were the Jewish Christians, um, Christians who were um, still bound to the Torah, still lived by the Torah, um, still believed the Torah was what guided them even as Christians. And the strong, in, in Paul's reference, were the Gentile Christians. Um, these were ones who did not grow, grow up with Jewish backgrounds, but grew up under Roman rule, grew up under maybe even a different um, belief system or other God um, system, if you will. Now, Paul's goal in writing Romans is ultimately not to give a theology book for the rest of time, but to specifically approach and address the strife that is going on in the Roman church. He wants to unite the Jewish and Gentile Christians as one. And you have to understand why there's so much strife. It's not just the Jewish-Gentile background that they have. And that's huge just in and of itself. But remember, the emperor at the time, uh, about five or six years before Paul writes Romans, um, the Jews, um, not Jewish Christians, but just the Jews themselves, were giving Rome such a hard time. They were causing so many riots, insurrections, all these things going on that he, that they just caused the emperor so much pain. That he says, I'm done. I'm sick of it. You Jews, get out of Rome. And so he kicks out all the Jews out of Rome, including Jewish Christians. And this went on for about a five-year period, and then the emperor passes away, a new emperor takes over, and that um, ban dissolves. And so there was about a five-year period where the church, the Christian church in Rome, was just Gentiles. And so for five years they have lived, they have uh, worshipped, they have done what it means to follow Christ their own unique way. And then about five years later, these Jews come back into town, these Jewish Christians, and they begin to try to unite and become this church again. But by whose Christian values are we going to live by? Are we going to have kind of our Jewish traditions that, that guide us? Are we going to have our Gentile um, traditions that guide us, right? Um, and both felt that they were both right. And both looked at the others um, partly because of past history, but also because of what they had been doing recently. And so there's this this innate anger and hate and strife that lives in the, the church that Paul says, no, that's not who we're going to be about. And we're going to uh, come about this, this unity through what Jesus teaches, through peace. Um, and again, this is his goal. And so, um, as we, we learn this reading in the back half of, of Romans, and now Romans 1 begins, um, begins his attempt um, to to unite these two groups of people. 
And Paul's intent was not so much to cast judgmental eyes on Gentiles in this first chapter 1, as it was to guide Phoebe's eyes. And remember, Phoebe is the one who's carrying the book of Romans to the church, right? He's, she's the one that, that carries it to these people. She recites it. But she's, he wants to guide Phoebe's eyes onto the weak in the person of the judge. And we'll, we'll talk about the judge in a minute. To inform them that they too will be judged by God in an impartial judgment. His words are unequivocal. When the weak sit in judgment on the strong, they are opening themselves to up to the same judgment. And so one of the big things that was causing strife in the Roman church was that the Jewish Christians were taking this role of judge and literally condemning the Gentile Christians. And so um, this is where we saw it. So chap- the, the last part of chapter 1 is written to these Jewish Christians. And so we see... Um, Romans 2, 1, it says, there, You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now, this was a huge statement because just before at the end of chapter 1, he made this big long list, a, a list that uh, Jewish people had known for a lot. This what they thought about Gentiles, how evil they were, how sexually um, horrific they were, all these things. And and what Paul is saying here is that when you start passing those judgments on, on those Gentiles, you in and of yourself are passing judgment that you are exactly doing the exact same things. Even though you're not doing maybe those things, what you're doing by judging is equivalent in God's eyes to what the Gentiles were doing as well. And then in verse 2 he says, Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. And so in 2.2, could be Paul's words, and we could well mean both you, the judge, and I, Paul, know. And so what does he mean by uh, who do such things? In 2.2, he means the specific sins in in one twenty six and 27 and one twenty nine through 30, 31, which surely shocked the judge's self-perception of themselves, right? Paul's words are relentless, contradiction and hypocrisy are his themes if you look in verses three it says so when when you a mere human being pass judgment on them and you do the same things do you think you will escape god's judgment and then in verse four or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness forbearance and patience not realizing that god's kindness is tended to is intended to lead you to repentance and so so he's saying that, that repentance is is not just for gentiles but you jewish christians you need to think about repentance as well and then um and so this turning against the judge or against the weak um is not unique to scripture right if you go to the old testament isaiah turns against his fellow israelites if you looked in isaiah 57 3 through 13 so it's this is a technique that god has used throughout scripture this idea of wanting to catch their attention and see the big thing for the jews is they believed in this concept of election and this word election simply means that they believed that they were the elected few um, who were going to be saved and who were always going to be saved just because they were born into the Jewish nation, into the Jewish culture, into the Jewish faith. 
But Paul is saying election doesn't matter. And so what he's saying is election makes Jews first in redemption, but election is not automatic redemption or moral transformation. In fact, Paul turned some themes inside out. While God's universal judgment would catch everyone in its net, it was also believed that Israel had an advantage, if not a big advantage. So what matters for Paul is that Judaism, to its core, is lived theology. And what stuns the judge as he hears these words is that it doesn't matter if one is Jew or a Greek or a Gentile. What matters is deeds. The thematic statement is for he will repay, for he will repay each person according to what they have done. And then you go all the way to 2.11, it's kind of, this is this is the front bookend, and then the second, the back bookend, is for God does not show favoritism or partiality. And so, what comes in between 6 and 11 is the details of what it means, of what it looks like to... Um, to live by your deeds, right? To have those things done. And so he says, to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, immortality, he will give them immortality. He will give them eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. And so there's this idea that doing good to do good for others, to do good for honor um, is, is right, but to do good for things that just get you what you want is wrong and gets you to this wrath. Therefore, 9, it says, there will be trouble and distress for every human being, every human being, again, remember, it's Jew or Gentile, who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the de- Gentile. And remember, this this is a turnabout for the judge, for the Jewish weak um, person in this. This is something unique to them. This is this is this is hitting them deep in the gut that that their election is no longer what allows them to be unique, but actually what they do is important. And so they can no longer be judgmental. They can no longer be hypocritical. They can no longer ex- express one thing and do another. And so this all adds up to this concept that God's judgment is just and impartial. Now, uh, this idea of of deeds matter uh, can be hard for some of us to kind of think of. And I'm gonna, I wonder, I want to put this in my own words, but I, the, Scott McKnight um, best describes it. So I'm gonna read a long quote for him that just kind of walks through this. This might be deep for some of you guys, um, but if you need to. Um, slow this down or or rewind this part um, just so you can understand what's being said here. This judgment by works should not be read as something foreign to the theology of Paul or contradictory to redemption by grace alone. Those who are uncomfortable with what Paul says here have misread Paul. Salvation by grace is consistent with judgment by works and can be found in the Old Testament, in Judaism, in Jesus and his apostles. As a matter of fact, the brother of Jesus, James, teaches the very same thing. Grace that reciprocates with gift in return remains grace. 
grace with expectation of gratitude and obedience remains grace. In fact, grace that transforms sinners into saints is the grace of which Paul talks. To be sure, this transforming work is that of the Spirit. If you went and looked at Romans 8, 1-13, through you would see this. But it is transformation unto obedience and works. I repeat, the vision of Romans 5-8 through is a vision of God-wrought Christiformity for all creation. Judgment by works, then, is the mirror image of salvation by grace, alone through faith alone. Let me read that again. Judgment by works, then, is the mirror image of salvation by grace, alone through faith alone. The latter without the former is not the grace of which Paul writes. What Paul says in Romans 2, 12-16 We've already heard in Romans fourteen twelve. So then each of us will be accountable to God. I know that's hard for some of you guys to, to wrestle with at times, but that there's there is this concept that Paul continues to teach, this idea that um, we are saved by grace, but that salvation that that is also bound to this idea of works that they but they exist together, um, and it's again not this transactionism that we talk about that I'm doing deeds to gain my salvation. No, salvation has already been given to you, but it is this idea that, that my deeds matter. What I do with my salvation, what I do with my faith is huge. And so Paul goes on to describe um, the judge. Um, I think I have it. Did I have it here? I lost it. Where did I put that? Well, who knows? Okay, so I want to read a list of what Paul describes as the judge. You can read it in Romans 2. But one, he says, one, they presume God's will will judge the Gentile. Two, they rely on the Torah. Three, they boast in, in their relation with God. Four, knows they believe they know the divine will. Five, they believe they are instructed in the Torah. Um they believe they are a guide to, to the blind Gentiles because they are a light to the world's darkness. They believe they are the corrector of the foolish, that they are a teacher of the children, and they know the Torah and so teach others the Torah. And so the idea is that they believe that they are the ones who um, are meant to bring the Gentiles into correction. The next thing that, that Paul does, to again, to hit home with the, the weak or the judge and turns the world upside down as he goes on to talk about a concept that is at the core of what it's always meant to be a Jew, and it is the concept of circumcision. Now remember, circumcision is a Jewish concept, but it was ignited by God. It was started by God. It was given to them by God, and God wanted them to live by this. And so it was something that they held to deeply as the core of what it meant to be a God-fearing Jew, and is to be that in their circumcision, that was their sign of being right with God. It was their their election, if you will. And Paul writes this, in, in starting in verse 25, circumcision, circumcision has value if you observe the law. But if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. So then, if those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirement, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you who, even though you have the written code and and circumcision, 
are a lawbreaker. And so what he says here is just because you're circumcised does not matter. Your election does not matter, but your deeds, the things you do, matter. And so, um, this is where we get to, it all boils down to what Paul wants to do um, and what his main point is at the very end of chapter 2. And I want to read this to you. And again, if you've got your Bible or if you can pull this up on your iPhone or phone, whatever it is, you know, Bible Gateway, if you don't have a Bible app, is a great one. You need to read these two verses over and over again and let them sink in. A person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. Okay. Now, before we go in a little further, I kind of skipped this earlier, so I want to come back and say this. As we talk about Jews and as we talk about Gentiles, this isn't a generic for all Jews and this isn't a generic for all Gentiles. In Romans, we are specifically addressing the specific church in Rome to specific people, Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. Okay, So you need to remember this as we talk through this. And so he says, A person is not a Jewish Christian who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. And then he says this, No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, And circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. And so he says, this outward physical deed that you did, that doesn't make you a Jew. No, the circumcision of your heart is important. Even though he's just been talking about your deeds matter, but then also your your praise, your your election, your your status, your symbolism is not bound by what other people say, but it's by what God says. And so, we, you know, so this is what this is how he's addressing. Well, first off, you know, this is how he's addressing um, the Jewish people. He's saying, "Look, guys, everything that you have held dear has gotten you to this point, but Jesus has rewritten everything, and it's no longer about." these outward deeds that we do to get honor just for ourselves, just to say that, hey, look, I'm a Jew. Look, I've been circumcised. He says, no. What Jesus brought is this idea that your heart, your heart is cut to the core. It, it, and that what you do is is, is changed by the spirit that, that Christ brings to us by his death and his resurrection. It's not about knowing the Torah. It's not about doing just these things just because you're supposed to do them. But you, you, your heart is cut so that you live differently, that your theology is different, that you can live with the Gentiles, not because you're judge over them, but because you have become one. And you need to hear that your praise doesn't come from, you know, because you fulfilled the Torah and so now all these other Jewish people know what the great things you've done because they can check the, check the list off. But now your praise comes because of who God, what God sees in you and what he claims in you as being his child, not because of what you do, but because of the spirit that now lives in you because of his son. You know, the, the saved by grace, right? This idea. And so the challenge for all of us in, in this is it comes to this, is that we are to be people who are to be cut to the heart by the Spirit.
That we are people who who live not because we do good things and we, we check things off a list or we know the Bible, we can memorize scripture, or because we've been baptized or circumcised or whatever it is you might think. Those things are a part of scripture, right? It's, we're not saying those things go away. But if our faith, if our identity is based in, in what we do, do we've missed it just like the weak, just like the Jewish Christians? We've missed it, and our faith is bound in, in, in the Torah or in the Bible. That sometimes your faith in the Bible can be a hindrance to your faith in God. Do you hear that? Sometimes we worship the Bible more than we worship God, and in this um, Romans book, we learn that knowing Bible is not what gets you to God, it's being cut to the heart by the Spirit. And our praise, our identity, our glory, our our existence is not what people say, but it comes from God. And it leaves us with two questions, two questions to wrestle with as we we close out this, this podcast, this threadcast. What surgery is the Spirit performing on your heart? Right? As you read this, what is that tug inside? What is it maybe you're having to let go of? What is it you did that was um, or doing or continue to do? That what is the what is that thing that that holds on to you? And, and deep down, you feel the the spirit's hands cutting away at that. You know what do you need to let go? What do you need to let um, that spirit do for you? And the second question to wrestle with. It's what voices are you listening to that isn't God's? What are you allowing to shape your identity as a Christ follower? What are you allowing, what are, what are you allowing to, to guide you that maybe you're doing not because of what God said, but because of what maybe your parents or your pastor or your friends or your church says? What voices are guiding you in, instead of letting God's voice guide you? So there's a lot to wrestle with there, um, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Maybe you expound on some of these and have a better way to, to put some of these questions. But but that's what we want to talk about in our uh, with our Faith Life app this, this week is what surgery is the Spirit performing on your heart, and what voices are you listening to that isn't God's voice? I hope this gives you something to wrestle with. I hope it gives you something to think on, and more importantly, I hope it helps your heart change this week. Hope you have a great day and a great week. Grace and peace.